Hello, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of Relay Essay, a connected conversation about student affairs in Canada. The basic idea is that each person we interview gives us a couple of names of folks they think we should interview next, creating a bit of a relay, passing the baton along to new and exciting interviews. So that's the relay part. The essay part stands for student affairs, which are the types of folks that we're speaking with in these interviews. Just a reminder that we are counting down to our final episode of the season when we will be revealing the person who is joining the Relay SA team as a co-host for season four. Who could it be? I can tell you that they are smart, hilarious, and getting them on board for Relay SA is a real game changer. That's all I can say for now. So let's get right back to the interview. This episode's interview is brought to us by way of Jennifer Brown. When I sat down with Jennifer out at Munn last summer, she gave me some solid nominations of folks to interview. Among them was the incredible Angie Clark. Now, you might know Angie from her many years, many years of involvement with SASA and Caucus, or you may know her from her work at the Marine Institute that's part of the Memorial University of Newfoundland. Either way, it doesn't take long to get to know that Angie is a wickedly smart and deeply committed student affairs professional. Between sessions at Caucus, we snuck away for a quick drink and an interview. I always have a blast chatting with Angie, and I know that you'll really enjoy it. Here we go. Adam Dewin, what are you doing? Who will you talk to today? It's Relay All right, we're on. Okay. Do you want to tell me your full name? We can leave out a middle name if you don't want to say your middle name. Well, I'm an Angela that goes by Angie. Okay. Um, but uh, Angie Clark. Angie Clark. And you were nominated by Jennifer Brown. So I, when I was out in Munn last summer, I think it was, uh, I interviewed Jen Brown and she suggested that I should talk to you. But it was like right after I had just gone for pizza with you. And I was like, I should have just brought a microphone because we had a brilliant conversation over pizza in St. John's. Um, but I'm so glad we get another chance. I'm oh, so glad we get a chance to totally, talk. Totally, um, Okay, so what are the basics? So where do you live and where do you work? Okay, so I live in uh, St. John's, Newfoundland. Uh, I grew up in Little St. Lawrence, which is as little as the name um, says it is, uh, about four hours away from St. John's, but I uh, currently live in St. John's, uh, almost downtown, and um, I work at the Marine Institute. So the Marine Institute is a campus of Memorial, uh, not the other St. John's campus, but we're also located in St. John's. Um, but yeah, so I've been there for a long time. So I've been at Marine for, in October, it'll be 14 years. 14 years and you've done like almost everything at that place right like what kind of things have you done over the years oh my goodness um so I started when I was 12 um I do look that young I'm joking um (laughs) but yeah so I started in uh I actually started in a started at Memorial so I was at the St. John's campus in a um like a student volunteer bureau coordinator role. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's been ages ago. Um, but that was in the career development uh, area. So it was in the career development department. And it was a half-time funded position by the university and by the student union. So I actually got to work with the student union for a bit. Oh, nice. Oh, and, and here are our drinks. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. You're thank very you. welcome. Oh, you're on this podcast now. I hope that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we should tell folks who are listening that we're uh, at... Uh, the hotel bar at Caucus. <laughs> so we're just having a quick drink. Thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers. Um, okay, so. Okay, so I started um, in that role, but um, I actually moved out of the contract at the university to come to the Marine Institute campus. Um, 
and I went into a position that was a new job at the time, but it was called the student liaison officer position. It was kind of like the classic generalist, first year advisor, jack of all things, student Everything, affairs for first right, years. Yeah. Right. Um, so I was in that job for a long time, doing orientation, doing um, mm-hmm. like some transition programming and stuff like that. Um, then I moved into a really neat job. I had the opportunity to fill um, a leave in our placement office. So I was actually placing students on seafaring work terms for a couple of years. And that, okay, so when you told me about that when we were talking, that blew my mind. I guess I've never devoted any time thinking about what happens at a marine institute, but then when you're telling me about it, holy smokes, the student experience at that place Mm -hmm. is unlike any I've heard anywhere else. So what types of programs, so when you say placing people in seafaring, placements. What does that even mean? So we have a bunch of different programs that are Transport Canada accredited. So students require um, mandatory sea time to finish the program. Okay. So um, they would actually have to spend time, as it really sounds, um, on board vessels for, um, and like there's uh, several programs. So a lot of the certificate programs are 60 days. So that's usually one work term. Uh, the nautical science program is like, it's the coolest program. Um, I shouldn't say, I'd not, it's not the coolest program overall. I'm not picking a favorite. Um, <laughs> but in terms of work term, it's a pretty neat opportunity for students because they they require 360 days at sea to finish the program holy smokes yeah so they get it into work term so there's a really short work term um as a part of their first year and then the hope is that they'll require like approximately 60 days like if they get 60 it's perfect like approximately in that range and then after the second year they're actually registered on a 15 month work term we do talk to them. That's the support of a placement officer. Right. Um, but they really get to go try out different opportunities. They they get they get 360 days experience by the time they graduate. And they're not on like cruise ships. Like they're not they can just. Be. Oh, so they like, are. You know, we, we we have had students place with Royal Caribbean and. Oh, amazing. We we, we had cruise companies um, with oil and gas in Newfoundland Labrador. It, you know that that's I would suggest the lesser percentage of placements. Right. <laughs> um, we have a lot of students in offshore supply. We have a lot of students in tanker. We have a lot of students who um, decide they want you know some unique opportunities. So they may um, decide they want to go with Canadian Coast Guard for a period of time and then transition to supply, or they may try um, an international placement. Uh, we had the coolest opportunity for a, nav- a navigation so a nautical science student and a marine engineer last year um, they actually um, it was on the national news and everything the, the actual cruise ship went through the northwest passage okay right so um, we actually had um, two students on the vessel that was um, the the lead vessel for the cruise ship so that pro- provided support and navigation assistance to the cruise ship so they actually so you know follow my logic here for a second like they um it's it's a bit of a, a thing for a mariner to make that voyage right? right so we had students who were actually doing it twice they oh, actually went up went through the northwest passage and then actually came back down through right um got international time like it's such a rich experience right and then can go like have a cocktail on the the cruise deck or whatever <laughs> I've, never, I've never done a cruise um okay so now you're on shift oh yeah <laughs> Of course not. Um, so you were placing folks. Yep. So I did that for a little bit of time. Um, so I, did, I placed now science and engineering students and two of our technical certificates. Um, I did that for two years. It was, you know, I learned so much. Right? You look back and, you know, hindsight is everybody's best 2020. But I look back this far at where, I'm, where I am now. And it's such an influential part of why you make decisions to stay in certain fields. And um, it gave me such an outlet to kind of describe and see the student experience a different way. Right. Um, and it really kind of got me interested in that career development lens um, versus right. just a student support lens. Sure. 
uh, and then I moved into an enrollment position. So I was the enrollment management coordinator for our campus. So I had the um, responsibility for recruitment, so student recruitment, um, and the transition into the enrollment process. So pretty much what everything looked like up until orientation. Right. Yeah, so all the communication and facilitating oh my gosh. that kind of breadth and depth. Um, and four years ago, this past January, I took on the director's position. So uh, they actually created, this was a new role on campus. Um, there was a bunch of different student affairs-ish departments that were right. all kind of scattered. Um, and they made those into a role. So um, it, it's a little bit structured a little bit differently. Like we're a smaller campus, obviously. Um, How many students? We have about 1,200 students. And that's probably... A blend of some of them being away or being there, yeah. and okay. Yeah, yeah, and okay. some some in distance programs and things like okay. that. Okay. Um, but we so in student affairs at our campus, recruitment is included. So we have student recruitment and enrollment practice. Um, I have health and wellness, so the gymnasium and the health and wellness program. Uh, the office of career integrated learning. Um, super proud. We changed the name from replacement office to the office of career integrated learning nice. um, a couple years ago. Yeah, really and monumental in how we think about career on campus and, mm. and how we integrate the competencies that people get as a part of that rich work term experience as a part of the student experience um, and how that student affairs part is a part of learning right right um, and then student support so orientation disability services a part of financial aid uh, crisis risk general issue management and what so that's well congratulations on your four years <laughs> your four-year anniversary um, I think you're right I think it's so unique to have the recruitment and yep. like the the promise and the deliver, yep. right? Kind of in the same shop. So what do you think that affords you from your perspective? Well, like we've, we've really aligned a lot of the practice, right? So like, and I was in a session this morning, we're at caucus. So I was at a session this morning and people were talking about like the student affairs staff really having to maintain the expectations set by recruitment staff. Mm. But with them both in the same department, we really are able to align responsibility and align expectation. And right. um, we've networked like the student, we, we've really been able to work with faculty to network their input in the, exper in the student experience. Mm. right from recruitment so you can help us get them here and help you keep, help us keep them here yeah we have this kind they're of, engaged on the yeah. whole mm. and they understand it right, right. like you know we've um, we started this motto on campus recruitment and retention is everyone's responsibility right so and how do you but how do you let faculty see their value and their part so we've done some really neat stuff with recruitment like we've um, included faculty in like the revision of our recruitment materials oh cool so like we've actually this is how we're actually selling your program right like this is how we're, we're you know purposing our materials this is how we're we're speaking this is the language we're using you know is that comparable does that compare to what right. you would you would expect right mm. and you have so you have faculty, but then you also have different folks who are doing supervising on these work placements too. Yeah. So you've got captains and all these different types of folks who are from industry. Yeah. So, so I think that's pretty unique as well. Well, and even just the feedback, right? So Marine is a different campus in a couple of different ways, but we actually have industry advisory committees for a lot of our programs. So it, like a lot of our industry partners actually come into those committees as well. Mm. Um, and, you know, if say we've had particular recruitment struggles with certain programs or if we've had like certain issues with certain programs from a student perspective, whether that be like maybe um, we have really good placement rates across programs in cooperative, like those cooperative placements. Um, but if we're able to identify issues in that program review process and get the industry feedback as well. Mm. So, like, you know, that comes down to as being as, um, you know, as minutia, Adam, as, you know, um, maybe placement of a safety course. Like, you know, industry are saying, well, you know, these students should have this course before they go on to their first work term. They, you shouldn't leave it to the second year to get and we're a bit more agile, right? We're able to kind of move that the next year right. and say, okay, well, you know, we're going to take your advice. Like, this is kind of where we're going to put that, right? Oh, that's so cool. 
Are there any other kinds of institutions like the Marine Institute, like in Canada or in North America? My token comment always is that there's other institutions that do part of what we do, but there's, I, I would say, there's no institution that does all of what we do. Right. Right? So, um, the Nova Scotia Community College has some programs that we have. Okay. Um, BCIT has some programs that we have. Georgian College in Ontario has some programs that we have. But, but realistically, when you look at the breadth and depth of the academic programs, the scope of programs, the research, the industry training, um, they, I, you know, I would venture the guess there, there's no institute that has exactly what we have. Mm. And... Your build, one of your buildings kind of looks like a boat. It does. So, so that's also, you know, fun. A little touch of whimsy. Yeah. When you came in to the building last year, it kind of looked like um, the, the the rails of a vessel. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I like that. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, kind of the, the theme of it all. And so when you're not um, doing your director gig, yeah. what other things take up your time? Um, I know you're an, a proud aunt. I am. I love being an aunt. It's the best. Um, I have a, a, my siblings, my brother and my sister both have kids. Um, so they actually both have a little boy that um, are they're only six months apart. And um, oh wow, they both and one is very new. I have a very new little niece. Um, she was only born on Wednesday. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So now Congrats. I have four. It's and I can't leave out the dogs. They would kill me. They're they're proud dog parents as well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's um, you know being able to see little people grow up and, uh, you know, be a part of their excitement and stuff like that. It's it's super cool. Uh, okay, so when you're not directing or ant- anting... Anting? Babysitting? Yeah. yeah. My sister always says you, you can't... You, it's not really babysitting if they're related to... Yeah, if it's family. It's just like child-minded, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. No, this is part of your role. Here you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I'm also a doctorate student at the University of Calgary. Tell me about that. How's that going? Yeah. Uh, well, I've been a, been a student, so I'm a candidate. So I did my comps a few years ago. Um, it's been one of the most challenging and rewarding experiences all in the one time. Um, so I'm in the uh, ND Higher Education Leadership Program. Okay. And um, my, my question really centers around um, if well, identifying the retention factors in a technical campus. Mm. So looking at the, the factors of um, students who are enrolled in technical programs and, and really kind of career-driven programs, and does um, are there certain factors different from other institutions that, that would affect the students' retention? Oh, wow. Yeah. And did you do your master's at Calgary as well, or did you do that at Munn, or where do you... No, I did it, so I did it at Memorial. So my undergrad and my grad degrees are from Munn. Okay. Um, I, did, I have an undergrad degree in biochem. Biochem. I'll confess my sins right up front. But I think I saw that on a tweet today that someone was talking about how awesome it is that our field is so interdisciplinary mm-hmm. because you and I do similar work. I have a yep. theater degree and you have a biochem degree totally. and I think that's phenomenal. Yep. And um, I did my master's, so I did master's in education, post-secondary studies program at Memorial. Cool. Yep. Which is like one of the first programs we had. Yep. And uh, I did it online, so I live in St. John's, but obviously did the program online. It was super flexible. Um, it really kind of gave me what I needed at the time. Gotcha. Um, and it gave me an appetite for higher ed, right? Like, the courses are, were really based at that time, um, were really based around student affairs. Right. Right? Like, that student development theory, that real, um, that really student affairs lens, right? Who were some, who teaches, or who was teaching at the time? And yeah, the who was teaching at Realistically, I was a bit of an odd, um, odd time because uh, people like Rob Shea were just starting to teach. Okay. Like when I was finishing, so I finished my master's in 2007. 
So I was just, I think Rob had me like a course. Oh, okay. Yeah, right? So they were just kind of, um, and like people like Donna Hardy Cox had um, moved into, into different roles. So they, right. they weren't, so Donna was really instrumental in setting up the program, uh, her and Wayne Ludlow, but they were moved out by the time I had started. Right. Yeah, so okay. there was some education faculty that, that were there as well. Mm, um, very cool. Yeah, but like they have wonderful people. Like Christine Arnold um, yeah. is, is at Mon. Like oh. there's people in my department who are doing their master's. We're so lucky. Like, so awesome. Yeah, it's awesome, right? Yeah. Um, and so you finish the master's and you're like, oh, I, I need more. I can't stop. So what um, contributed to your decision to continue to do the ID? Um, I was only young, right? So like I finished my master's when it was 2007. So I was like 26 maybe? Right. To, like, so I, I really look at it, right? When you look at, to be completely fair, we were comparing pension statements in our office. So I worked with two people who were really, at that time, who were, like, really ready to retire. Like, they were in the fully bulletproof, like, I'm now into modest days on my pension statement. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> kind of time, right? Like, they'd been in the institution for 40 years, right? Sure. And when you start looking at being somewhere for 40 years, you're kind of like, man, like, I've been working for, at that time, I was probably working for, like, eight years at the campus. Right. And, like you kind of reflect a little bit and say, like, I really, I, I really came to a point that I knew this is what I wanted to do for a really long time. Right. Right? Like, I, I knew that I had kind of found my thing. You know, doctors find their profession. <laughs> and yeah. I do think that we come to a point in student affairs that you really kind of figure out that this field is something you want to contribute to. Yes. Right? So I got to that point. Right? And I just said, you know, like, really when you look at it, if I've got 30 years left, how do I make the best go at the next 30 years? Really, yeah, and you know, had kind of balance. Say, you know, would I ever want to step out and teach like full time? And I really like what I do, so I was kind of like, eh, maybe not. And um, so I said, no, I kind of wanted to stay working and and do a program at the same time because uh, I thought that that whole um, combination of working and working in the field, like in the practical piece, um, the practitioner piece, and this and having the scholar piece was was positive. Um, so I decided I was going to do my doctorate. And how's it going? Uh, it's so funny, we just came off a panel talking about this, so I feel like I'm repeating myself. Um, it, you know, listen, there's days you love, love it and there's days you hate it. Um, I think the one thing I would say about the doctorate is that if someone had have told me I was going to learn as much about myself and about, like, the whole personal growth piece to being a doctorate student, right? Like They never sell you on the personal journey part. They sell you on, like, oh, you're going to be called doctor like there's all these fancy <laughs> things but they're like no because as much as you're studying and zooming in on a subject matter and like a question of inquiry you're also like it's a constant self-reflective process you're constantly holding a mirror up to yourself about well, how you think and why you think the way and you it think it challenges and, your worldview and it, it yes. challenges how you position things and you question why you position certain things a certain way and um you know you you really look at at issues a different way right like um and I, and I don't think, I didn't get that. I, I don't, and to be fair to me at the time, um, I don't think you can get that when you start. Right. But, you know, I've, I've, come, I've become very comfortable with saying I'm something, I'm really pleased, it's something I'm really pleased has happened and that I'm at this point before I finish that I can actually reflectively say it's happened. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's one of those intangible kind of things, right? And totally experiential. Yeah. It's like you have to, you have to move through it and live through it to yeah. kind of understand it. And it's, uh, 
you know, and you learn a lot, right? You learn a lot from people. Um, you learn a lot from your peers. Um, the program I did at Calgary was um, somewhat distance-based, so, like, okay. I didn't necessarily have that, like, when we got into the after-courses piece, I didn't really have that rich community of classroom learning, right? right? Um, but I've developed some really awesome friendships and some really awesome people that you can, you know what I mean, call out to and say, listen, I need a really honest opinion. Um, I know you're going to get it, right? Like, no, you're you're able to kind of garner their support and stuff too, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, generally speaking, it's been it's been positive. Um, I think there's moments in a doctorate that everyone kind of says, like, why am I doing this? What? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's to deal with feedback, and that's to deal with perseverance, and that's to deal with thinking that you're not smart enough and that you won't finish. And mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I, I think anyone who's, it would be my opinion, that anyone says they haven't at some point, felt like they were totally an imposter <laughs> in, in the circumstances, probably lying, because uh, I think it happens, right? I think it happens more than anyone would even admit. Oh like, I God, would yes. say it's probably, like, most folks. Yeah. And I think that imposter syndrome manifests as uh, sometimes people just buckle down to do the good work, and sometimes people try to perform. Yep intelligence in a way yep. and so but it's I think it's something that impacts everyone and I think people start and think you have to be smart to do a doctorate right you know when it's intelligence based and and, I'm, and part of it is like don't get me wrong right like there's a lot of really intelligent people who finish doctorates um, but realistically there's a lot of intelligent people who don't finish doctorates and there's, yeah. before, there's a dissertation on that too um, but you know I think that it's perseverance right and it's people wrapping their mind around the goals and objectives as to people why people want to finished right yeah like you know in student you know in some of our retention literature we always say that students need to find our fit right so to be successful they need to find some type of hope and fit in, in terms of what they're doing right? right and i think that really manifests itself quite well to to what we're doing like to get past that that imposter piece you need to find your fit like you need to find your hope that it's gonna gonna move forward right and i think there's a weird like a weird thing around fit sometimes because um the power is located more on the department or the program, right? Yep. Because you, you, I don't, I didn't feel like I could shop around and like find my fit. I was like, oh, they took me, like they accepted me, so I'm going with Oise, yep. you know. Um, so I think that's also a weird dynamic yeah. is thinking about. Um, well, and I think sometimes it's finding your own kind of kind of direction piece, right? So yeah. like you know if. And, and where my program is a little bit distance, it's not necessarily fit with the. It might not be the fit with the institution so much, but it's it's the fit and objective of actually completing, right? Yeah. So you feel a part of, of what you're doing, right? And I think one of the things that's really kind of those humps, those those bumps in the road that you, everyone has. Um, I, I think you're able to get over those by kind of really logically looking um, at certain at the purpose of it all, right? Right. And, and moving past with the motivation and desire to kind of just get past it. Right. Would you, if you went back and spoke to like first year Angie at MUN and you're like, you're going to do an ED one day, would you have believed it? Was this part of your trajectory or? No, I was pre-pharmacy when I went to biochem and then I was like working um, in a pharmacy one summer and I came home and I'm sure I broke my parents' heart and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be a pharmacist. (laughs) Um, And then I graduated with biochem and I remember somebody asked me what a biochemist did and I was like, "Eh." (laughs) well, I'm going to go work in student affairs. (laughs) I started working in um, student affairs the two days before I graduated with my undergrad degree. Oh, nice. Yeah, so, like, people are saying, oh, so you did biochem, you're going to be a biochemist. 
actually, I just accepted a job at the university. I'm actually going to be the student volunteer bureau coordinator. Um, but there's a whole bunch of logic to it, right? Like you, um, I had coordinated orientation when I was a student. I had been involved in student life, and I remember the last year of my undergrad. Um, I had to do this um, presentation in um, a biochem course. It was called Membranes. I actually remember the number and everything on it. And I had to, we had to do this 50-minute um, talk around um, like an area of biochem. Okay. It's like area of research. So um, I had done this uh, talk on uh, vitamin D in the eye. <clears throat> Exciting stuff. Ooh. <laughs> Exciting stuff. And our Rods and cones. <laughs> That's all I know about us. I remember the uh, the faculty member. He actually wrote my academic um, reference for my master's. And uh, I remember him saying after I finished my talk, because, you know, I had, like, you know, an icebreaker. <laughs> 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 we all got to know each other. And it was, you know, <laughs> it was all very, very well constructed. Right. Not necessarily with the science pedagogy that potentially sure. they all went by. And I remember looking at me and saying, "You're not gonna, you're not gonna work in a lab, are you? You're not gonna do your masters in science." It's like, no, I'm actually gonna start working at the university in a couple of weeks. <laughs> but what a gift to have that realization before you're like 20 years into a lab That's career. Like, do you know what I mean? Well, listen, I've had the opportunity, and I think. You know, one thing that kind of can direct our way sometimes as young professionals and as continuing professionals, um, I think good people, right, kind of direct your way, yeah. right? And you learn from, so you have the opportunity to work from some great people and you have the opportunity to learn some lessons from some people you don't want to be like just as just as well right totally and i think you know i coordinated um orientation under the stewardship of tom brophy um you know one of the you know foremost kind of orientation leaders and, and student student support student life his name's come up a few times in these interviews yeah, this tom brophy fellow yeah well listen it was a you know it was a gift right and i've said that to him like you know this is all your fault um, <laughs> But, you know, I, I remember um, finish, going to finish my science degree, and I remember having, like, a really critical conversation with Tom. Uh, I had worked for him for, like, several semesters, and I, he was the first person that ever actually told me that this could be a thing. Right. You know, he's like, listen, you can make a go of this, right? Like, this can actually be a career. Like, you, this is as professional as any other discipline. Yep. Right? I had a similar conversation in my fourth year with my supervisor totally, at the time. He's like, right? why don't you do this? I was like, I guess you can. Yeah, and it's that light bulb that you're like, well, like other people are doing it, and you know, no, you know, but the whole idea of being able to use the skills that you learn to facilitate programming and to take that undergraduate experience and make it into um, fruitful examples and job interviews and yeah. you know what I mean? Like it, it was just such a kind of light bulb moment of saying, yeah, I can do this, right? And and I would like to do this more hmm. so than just you can't, right? Um, and you've been at you kind of have remained local to yeah. like St. John's and Newfoundland and um, well, I'm sure some people would say that that's a blessing and a curse to stay in one institution that long but I don't know I don't know that there's one way to do anything and I think yeah. some people would say like oh some people bounce around too much and some people yeah. stay at one and I was like whatever like whatever fits your life yeah. is like what works for you I think I don't know but my my question was and I also know that you've been really involved with caucus too is I think um, what do you think student affairs professionals in provinces that aren't Newfoundland or maybe perhaps more broad like the East Coast have to learn from how things how things work on the rock and how things take yeah. place um, that's, a, that's a good question mm. um, 
I think sometimes, like, you know, I'm always so proud when you see Newfoundland content on, um, not Newfoundland, but say East Coast content on uh, big conference agendas and stuff like that, right? Because I, I think that some of the programming that we're doing on, on our campuses is so rich, um, and I think we can learn just as many lessons from, you know what I mean, from those at West, like, some of the really um, useful and impactful sexual work on sexual violence in BC, as an example, right? Like, there's some right. really big ticket um, things that are happening across the country that, we 100% can kind of learn from and take best practices from and, and things like that. Um, I think the sense of community on some of our campuses is quite rich. Uh, I think the um, the opportunity um, to profile, um, you know, how we've integrated some, some a variety of different diverse student populations on campus mm-hmm. is an opportunity. Um, and and I, I think, too, like, we not that we undersell ourselves sometimes but I think we're our institutions generally speaking are smaller than than smaller institutions right. um, but I think some of the practice can be exemplified in a number of different ways on other campuses um, and being on the board has really opened my eyes to um, the diversity across and I obviously you know there's diversity across Canada 100% like you know what I mean like but you know being able to have those rich conversations with people who work in leadership roles right across the country right. um, you realize your similarities and your differences quite quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's that generally has been a has been a good experience for me as well. So when I remember we were on the programming committee. I think this is when I first met you. Is when on like phone like call-in meetings for the program committee for oh, what conference? It was the first time there was a programming committee. Yeah, we were and, on the first one. Yeah, and I. Um, so was that your first involvement with caucus, or were you doing other things prior to that with like SASA or some of the other? I think I'd probably been on like an awards committee or something for SASA, right. but I hadn't been on the board for SASA, so okay. I'd just been like, and I think there was some kind of like committee volunteer roles that you could right. kind of do, right? So, um, but yeah, that program committee was like my first national kind of committee. Same, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then so you did that, and then. Tell me about your other involvement with caucus. So I guess two years ago, um, I got appointed um, in a policy position. Um, so that was interesting. It was my first time on the board. Um, and it was still at a point, I think, that you know the new structure was just kind of coming into its own. Still finding its footing. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So that that was a, an interesting year. And last year, I took on the elected, um, and it was appointed as well, I guess it was acclaimed in it, for two years. So the two-year finance director term. Nice. So I'm just moving into the second year of that. So you know all of the the dollars and cents, and there you go. Yeah, it's it's been such a treat, really. Like um, the individuals on the board, like we really um, have had some exceptional conversations, right? And you just sit back and listen sometimes, and you, you hear people um, with informed opinion, and they're so diligent and smart and aware of our practice, and you know they're just well in, well informed professionals, right? Oh, it's, that's such a good way to explain it. I was on the board for a hot second um, for one year, and it's just the, all these people who are so at the top of their game. Yep, totally. And also volunteering. Yep. So that's the other part where people who are taking it as seriously as if they're making a million-dollar paycheck yep. and make these decisions and these conversations, which I think to some degree are invisible to most members because yep. they wouldn't know that folks spent, like, a three-day board meeting trying to make a totally. decision. Um, th- folks might just experience the outcome, but people are really deliberating about important issues. Well, and I think, you know, Pat Pardo, um, I've had the really distinct pleasure to work on the board with Pat for the last couple of years, and um, 
she talks about, she refers to a lot of making space for conversations and making space for people. And I think collectively, the last couple of years, we've really made space for each other and the topics that we've talked about when we've come to the table, right? Mm. Um, understanding we're all in different time zones. Our phones are all going off at different times. Right, right, right. We all open and shut down at different at different times. Uh, Newfoundland is the first one to open and usually the first one to shut down. Um, but, you know, we from coast to coast really come together as a collective and you know obviously we we touch base out with board calls um but in our in our in-person meetings right we really do make make space to have those rich conversations right mm. um and just people like you know i i really have been um not necessarily surprised because i think that that you know there was an expectation I, you know i had a hope for when i got involved that that i would benefit from it in some way um but it's just been really positive and like jennifer's just doing a, a bang up job in holy smokes in her role and, and some of the you know some of the, the strategic priorities that, that we've laid out like even last year like I, I i think we've made um decisions to really intentionally do certain things and to make good on on some of the some of the, some of the public comments that have been laid out and some of the priorities that have been laid out mm. um, and Jennifer just really fostered those in, in, in a really exceptional ways, right? So given your kind of unique perspective, you've been on the board and you've been involved in these discussions, what's like, what do you think is on the horizon for our field and our professional organization? Um, I just really think caucus is coming into its own, right? Like, mm. you know, no, I can't, it's probably not coming to, but we, we've moved from the divisional structure to, to um, the communities of practice. Um, and I think that'll take some time to, to really find find its footing and um, to develop to its fullest potential. Uh, and being a leader in that, you would you would know that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of, per, as a board, providing the tools for the communities to be able to do that it is something that, you know, we're, we're attempting to foster. Um, and I really think, too, with, you know, exciting things like the PD framework and the, confi- the competency model, yeah. you know, we, we really are developing pieces of um, students of students and professionals enab- enabling their identification at, as student affairs as a profession yeah. or of student affairs being we have more um, more and more connective tissue right totally 100% yeah. Yeah. right and uh, and stuff that's logical and well done and well presented right yeah um, and that's you can be something you can be really proud of, right? Um, there's a lot, and you know, we as a board, like we don't necessarily always do the work, but we foster the the work to be to be creative, right? So right. you get to be really proud of the really good people who are who are doing exceptional work, right? Yep. Which is great. Hmm. So I have. Um, I think that was everything I wanted to ask you about. Um, but I've got some rapid fire questions that I kind of use to wrap up. Wrap Go up an interview, it. so they're just I like. I have listened to these before. So you know the you know the gig, and so you know <laughs> you know the last question is um, who you're passing on the relay, who you're passing the torch to. Um, if you weren't in student affairs, what would you be doing? Mm. I always said I would be an accountant. Oh, that's good for. I know, right? Like a finance director. For I'm not just saying that because I'm a finance director. Um, <clears throat> one of my questions is lake or ocean, but I think I might know what the answer is. Ocean. <laughs> Do you have any nicknames? Uh, not really. There's very few people who call me Ange. That's a that's a very very slim. Um, if you were to trade life with one person for one day, who would it be? Ah, trade life with one person. This week I'd want to be somebody on the cast from Come From Away. <laughs> right? They've I know, had right? to go. Oh man, I've been Only following. Only if I could sing though. Um, do you have a favorite teacher? Favorite teacher? 
future. I think we learn from different people. And I think um, I had a boss that retired a little while ago, Dr. Peter Fisher, um, and he he never taught me a course. Right. Um, but Teachers come in all. Yeah, but and I sizes. think I learned a lot from him. Um, I don't know his favorite teacher, my most recent teacher, maybe. Um, last book you read. Oh, besides my <laughs> besides my academic work. I know I cannot answer this question. But um, just journal articles and textbooks. No, actually, I read a really good book. All the light you cannot see. It's a very good All book. All that you cannot see. Yeah, very good book. I actually um, joined a book club, so I would read other things besides my Just retention, stuff. scholarly yeah. material? Great. Yeah. And my stats book, which I have a love-hate relationship with. Oh, my gosh. Which hate. Um, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? To make people happier. Nice. Um, <laughs> Some people just need to be happier. A question that I've been starting to ask more and more is around what is what is on your failure resume? I don't know if you saw the prof- saw a professor made his failure CV, and he listed all the grants he didn't get and the jobs he didn't get, um, and it was to prove a point to his students that when you yep. see a professor, you kind of see them as this fully formed kind of perfect success yep. story, and we don't necessarily share times when we've uh, stumbled or flopped or made a mistake. Is there a, a time when... Angela Harkis stumbled that you'd be willing to share? Um, I would say my 15 organic chemistry. Mm. Passed it, but not well. Um, but sometimes those victories, you're like, it's not a great victory, but it's a victory. I'll take it. I would people. I, I would encourage people to aim higher than that. <laughs> <laughs> like, at least get the 65B. Like, come on. Fair enough. <laughs> um, jobs. I haven't applied for that many jobs. I've been quite happy for the last little while, so I can't say I've applied for many jobs. I did try to pick up running. That didn't work so well. You're a really good runner. I'm trying. It's not my it's not my strength, but I'm it's trying good. to persevere. Listen, I'm trying to demonstrate trying. some grit and resilience to use all of that. Look at you. <laughs> um, and so you know the last question, which is this is a relay. So Jen Brown, Jen Brown passed the baton to you, and now it's your chance to. It's always so hard because there's so many good people. I know. Um, a couple of old board, older board people. Okay, three people. Okay, give me the okay. three names. Uh, I think you should talk to Pat Pardo. Yes. I think that Pat has an interesting perspective. Um, I, I think she has a lot to share. Yes. Yep. Okay. And I, I think that that yeah, I, I've learned a, I've learned a lot. Um, you learn a lot from people, right? And right. Yeah. I, so what should I ask Pat about? I just think Pat has a really cool background, right? And I think that um, you know she she has really focused on some things with the board and, and how we organize ourselves and she's always so present and conscious of stuff right like I and I just appreciate the amount of preparation she does to be to be on at certain th- at certain points okay. in time really appreciate the amount of effort she puts into her work and if we could find a way to capture her energy yeah and like sell it somehow we would be we got calls and I'm only waiting because it's later in Newfoundland right so I'm only waiting for her to come in with some like hold on like, <laughs> I'm already happier Pat let's get on oh my gosh it just yeah. washes over you <laughs> and I'm like done um, I think there's a couple people who are moving off the board who like people like Dave Newman Dave yeah. Newman has been on the board for 10 years has a really interesting portfolio obviously U of T is huge like that experience is so rich sure um, and it's just provided so much right through like from a national organization perspective like transition he's seen success. through yeah totally, of course right like you know you're, you're 10 years on the board right yeah um, I think Dale Mullings is an interesting conversation 
um, I've learned a lot from Dale, have come to appreciate his perspective in, in difficult you know, conversations generally on the board. Nice. Um, but David, Dale's coming off the board. I think Dale would be interesting. And just a different perspective, right? Like, has any international lens. Um, like, just has a neat, a neat background. Awesome. And contribution and stuff, too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one more. I'll go east. I just went, like, west-east. Okay. And Bartlett is hosting 2018. Yeah. Marcus, oh, my the gosh. The most energetic human, one of the most energetic humans you'll ever meet. Incredibly positive. Um, and, like, brought her crew out oh, to yeah. this caucus to just really... And it's just, um, it has been in, has been doing valuable work for a really long time. And um, I have a lot of respect for people who have a lot of respect for our profession mm. and who really just like to give back to to students and um, you know and sees that link between academic and student affairs and and the overall support profiles in institutions and um, yeah and it's, I you know it's just one of those kind of student student affairs people that um, I think has a lot to share so and, and oh. we'll be hosting in 2018 that's awesome so next year we decide to do this without a mic we'll be in PEI we'll be in PEI oh it was so good I can't wait and then Dale and David are both, like, nice and local options. There you go. Yeah. You can still take them out, though. That's probably well. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. You are very welcome. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much, Angie. There it is. Thank you, Jennifer Brown, for suggesting Angie. I had a fabulous time hearing about her unique and special work at the Marine Institute. Whenever I connect with Angie, I come away with new insights and new perspectives. I just love, love, love this interview. Thank you so much, Angie. I strongly recommend following Angie on Twitter. Her handle is at Ange Clark, A-N-G-C-L-A-R-K-E. And that's it, episode two. Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to Adrian Ross, who made the Relay Essay theme music. And our design work was done by the extremely talented John Horvatton. If you have any questions, concerns, or critiques, or even if you have any suggestions of any faculty, staff, students that you think we should interview, please connect with me on Twitter. My handle is at Adam Kewen. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.